statistics, figures, stuff like that. You try to get the best information available to you, and we did the best we could. Um, we made it in April of 2021, which was after, I believe, Mexico had finished their census, but before they actually released those numbers. Maybe they hadn't actually finished things yet. I don't know if they were pushed back with COVID, but all I know is this, is that when we made that video, yes, as far as I knew, Quedetro had about a million people. Mexico had about 129, 130 million people. As soon as Mexico finished their census, they found out, okay, we've got 131 million people now in the country, a whole other million than what we thought they had. And now the city of Querétaro is about 2 million people. It has been the fastest growing city in all of Mexico. A lot of people have been coming to Querétaro to kind of find safety, find refuge from the violence that they'll have in villages or cities in other places in Mexico. They've moved into Querétaro, a lot of them. Hundreds of thousands of them, obviously, for that city to be growing so quickly and to have grown so quickly as it has. And it is continuing to grow, so far as I know, to this day. It is nearing 2 million people. I think it was 1.6 million was the statistics they, re- they, uh, they gave out with that census, um, which would have been still in 2020. The city is still growing. There's still a lot of things happening. And it's a great thing to see that, but sadly... There are only still a small handful of churches. There are no missionaries currently in that city so far as we have found and researched. No, currently, no missionary is in that city. There's another family that's on deputation to go there. We'll probably be getting there about at the same time. But at the same time, I know the region he's going to and know the region we're going to, we're probably not going to cross paths too much as we're going out and trying to reach out to this community. Um, it's a huge city. It's a growing metropolis. And there's a small handful of churches trying to reach it, but it's still 95% Catholic. And there's still just a small handful of Bible-believing churches like this one trying to reach this multi- these multitudes in this city. So all that being said, we need your prayers. We have those prayer cards printed on the back. And as a missionary, you know, you think about it, oh, we need a prayer card. It's just part of what we do. But we really need your prayers. I mean, we, do, we talk about it a lot. You probably hear it from missionaries a lot, but we aren't going to be able to do anything on this field without your prayers. We're facing opposition. We're facing warfare. We're going against Satan on his turf. And Brittany and I will both tell you that we're already facing opposition as we're working our way there. There's difficulties that we face that we don't even have time to explain, but there's a lot of opposition that we will definitely face down there. He has a stronghold, Satan. He has a stronghold in this city. We're trying to go against that. We're heading directly against that and trying to say that Christ is the only way to heaven, that you don't have to pray through these saints. You don't have to worship these saints. They don't need worship. They don't deserve worship. Only our Lord deserves that worship. We're going to be saying these things that will be breaking these people out of the slavery that they've been living in, which is quite sad. It's quite disheartening to know what they have to go through, the torture that they will put themselves through to try to earn favor with God. We're going against that. We're just sharing the truth from the Bible. So we need your prayers as we do that. Please feel free to grab a prayer card or two. You have to pray for us twice as much if you grab two. But believe me, we need it. We will gladly take your prayers for us. Romans chapter number 15. The Bible here says in verse number 19, Through mighty signs and wonders... By the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about into Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see. And they that have not heard shall understand and will pray at this time. Dear Lord, we do thank you for this day. We do thank you for gathering us all here together safely, Lord. We do thank you for your word. We thank you 
for being good to us. I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts this morning and do what you want to have your will and your way in our hearts and in our lives. I pray that you'd guide my mind and my words, that you'd use me to be a blessing and encouragement and an exhortation to do right for these people. Help me, Lord, and help all of us, Lord, here this morning. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the passage we just read, Paul is talking about, the Apostle Paul, he's talking about the different places where he has been able to preach the gospel. The Apostle Paul was the writer of the book of Romans, and we know he was really one of the first missionaries. He is explaining the different places where he has been able to preach the gospel. He started in Jerusalem with his ministry and was ministering in Antioch at the beginning as well. And then he started branching out. We know he went through what is now modern-day Turkey. He ended up going over into Greece and Macedonia. But this passage here talks about this place of Illyricum. We all know where Illyricum is, right? Yeah? No? I didn't actually know either. I had to look a lot. Because at first I heard that it was in Yugoslavia, but that's no longer on the maps either today. Um, Illyricum is no longer on the maps. I'm thinking, where is this city? And as I was looking and I even Googled it, Google told me it wasn't a city. Um, It was actually a region. And that region would be modern-day Montenegro, Bosnia and Herzegovina, and Croatia. That part there along the Adriatic coast across from Italy, those countries mainly are what would have been Illyricum a couple thousand years ago. And if we think about it, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, um, from what I can tell, from what I've looked at, uh, Delta didn't have nonstop service between um, Jerusalem and Illyricum at that time. I don't think. I think there might have been a couple of layovers at that point or something like that. Same with American, even though there was no America back then either. So we think about it as the Apostle Paul did all that traveling. How did he do that traveling? He didn't have a car, from what I can tell, or a Jeep or anything like that. So he was doing a lot of walking. He was doing a lot of riding of camels and donkeys. And he was traveling on ships, boats, and other sea vessels that we probably wouldn't even think about getting onto in our world today. We would rather say, you know what, I'll just go across the Atlantic in a canoe before I get on that vessel. That is what he went on. That is how he traveled. And he traveled so much throughout that region I talked about. It doesn't seem huge compared to what we're used to now. I mean, we're in the state of Montana. He probably would have stayed within the state of Montana for all of his travels. That's how I would say his travels were, geographically speaking, that region he was in was probably smaller than the state of Montana, but he was traveling to all these people and doing all of that traveling without our modern conveniences, sleeping in different places probably every couple of nights. That had to have wore on him. That was an exhausting thing. And not only did he go through the exhaustion that would come with all that travel, we know he was beaten, he was whipped, he went through different tortures As well, he was stoned, I think, a couple of times. He went through all of that. Why would he do that? Why would someone choose to go through all of that? Some people in our world today, they'll travel for work. They'll be compensated fairly well to do that. But that wasn't what what the Apostle Paul went through here. Why was he so eager to do this? He wanted to proclaim the gospel of Christ to people who hadn't yet heard They didn't know how to get to heaven. They didn't know what the Bible said about how to get to heaven. They had no idea. They may have heard of who Jesus of Nazareth was, but they didn't know why he came, what the big fuss was about. And he was explaining, hey, he came, he died in your place so that you can go to heaven. He spread that gospel around the world. Verse 21, he is quoting something when he says, but as it is written. I know that's very deep insight there. If it says, but as it is written, that normally would mean he's quoting something. But let's turn to Isaiah in chapter number 52 to see what he is quoting. 
about the middle of your Bibles, Isaiah chapter number 52. The Apostle Paul here, he quotes verse 15, but I want to start in verse 13 with our reading to get the context of what he's quoting, and honestly to get a better understanding of the urgency that the Apostle Paul had. Isaiah chapter number 52. And here the Bible says in verse number 13, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. So that passage there, that my servant is referring to Christ. The prophet Isaiah wrote this book about 500 years before Christ came to this earth. So this is prophetic. It's looking forward to that time. And God gave him that revelation to understand that, to give this prophecy so the people of Israel could understand who their Messiah would be at this point. They're looking forward to that. And we're now 2,000 years after Christ, and we're looking back on this. But that my servant is referring to Christ, and that being exalted and extolled and being very high, it kind of refers to some of how he was well known in his time, which he was. But that also refers to the manner of death that he suffered being the cross. If we think about it, Isaiah was written 500 years before Christ, which was still at least a couple hundred years before the Roman Empire, before the Romans even, I think, even had a city. But the Roman Empire, we have to understand, they were working actively to come up with the worst way to torture someone and execute someone. They tried different things. They experimented with different things as they executed different prisoners for different things. And as they were doing that, as they were really studying that, it's really a cruel thing that they were doing, but the worst thing they could come up with was the cross, the crucifixion. That was the most grueling thing that they could think of to kill someone. Being tied to a cross was sometimes what they would do. And you're thinking, well, what would tying someone to a cross be? They would just be hanging up there. But when someone is hanging up there, they're struggling to breathe. When your arms are lifted up that high and bearing that weight, you can't actually breathe the way the muscles work together. The Romans found that out. So they would torture people in that way. But we know our Savior was nailed to a cross, which where they would put those nails would be through the nerve endings in the hand area and the feet area. They would put it right through those nerve endings, and that would create a lot of pain. Well, excruciating pain. That word excruciating comes from the crucifixion. When we think about that, and our our Savior went through great pain and suffering in that. Verse 14 says, As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Before our Savior was put on that cross, he was tortured. We know that he was uh, overnight having different trials and different courtrooms and different things. We know the bailiffs, they weren't always the most gentle with our Savior. They probably shoved him around every chance they could. We know they smacked him in the face. We know that they did that to our Savior. We know they beat him with the cat of nine tails that would be leather straps with nail, with bone, with glass, different things embedded in that leather And after that torture he went through, he didn't look like a man anymore. He didn't look like a person. He was tortured so much. That's what was prophesied here. And that is what happened to our Savior. Why would someone choose to go through that? That's worse than the travels that the Apostle Paul went through. Verse 15 explains it, though. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see. And that which they had not heard shall they consider. So Christ went through all that suffering, that torture. 
Yes, we know he died in our place. That was the suffering and torture necessary to take care of our sin debt in the eyes of God so we could be justified before God. Praise the Lord that he did that. It's an awesome thing that he did that for us. It's a fantastic thing that he did that so that we can go to him and simply by asking him to make it so... He went through so much because now it is so simple for us to be able to someday go to heaven, to have a relationship with God, to be able to ask him things in prayer, to have all of that given to us. That is fantastic that he went through all of that for us. But he didn't just do that for us. So far as I can tell, he didn't just die for Whitehall Baptist Church here in Montana. He died for this whole world. He gave his life so that the whole world could be saved. But that last phrase is very important that we have to remember. And that which they had not heard... Shall they consider? For someone to be able to trust Christ as their Savior, they have to be able to hear it. To be able to make some sort of an agreement in this world, you have to be able to hear it. Normally, it's not a good idea to sign off on something blindly without knowing what you're doing. Um, when Normally, when I grew up in Northeast Ohio, purchasing a vehicle, you would want to examine that vehicle. Especially if you are purchasing a used vehicle in Ohio, they salt the roads worse than I salt my food. It is ridiculous. They just go to town with it. Salt everywhere all over Ohio. You grew up in Indiana, so you know. You, came, you drive over in Ohio, it's just like salt everywhere. There were some times I would travel between home and college um, around Christmas time, and my, I could taste the salt on my vehicle just by standing near it. All sorts of salt. So that means rust happens to a lot of different vehicles. So part of buying a vehicle for me growing up uh, was crawling underneath the vehicle almost, trying to look underneath and see how the brake lines were and see how rusty things were underneath. You'd have to really consider that. You couldn't, it would be very foolish to buy a vehicle without that. Now, for someone to get saved, they don't have to really examine all the details of it. You don't have to have a doctorate in soteriology to get saved. It's not nearly that complicated. But you have to hear who Jesus is. You have to know who Jesus was and who he is and what he did for us. You have to understand that. That has to be explained. And sadly, there are so many people in our world today that don't understand why Jesus came to this earth. The truth of that, that he died in their place. There are so many who have yet to hear that. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know for sure that heaven is your home someday, that Christ is your Savior, if you want to have that settled this morning, we'd be glad to show you. Your pastor would be glad to show you. I would be glad to show you. We want you to know that for sure. That is not a complicated thing at all. We aren't going to embarrass you about that or anything. That's the best decision you can make, and you can have that settled before the clock strikes noon here this morning. We want you to do that. Some of us here have trusted Christ as our Savior. A lot of this world has yet to hear the truth of who Jesus is. As I've talked about Queretaro, as I've said, there are a lot of people actively working to earn their salvation. Sadly, what they are doing is all in vain. We can't earn our salvation. We can't earn favor with God. The only thing that gets favor with God for salvation is the shed blood of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, those sufferings that we talked about. He rose again to say, you know what? I have power to do this. You don't need to add anything to this. That, the reason we have to go to Mexico, though, is because those people aren't being told that. Someone has to proclaim that message. That is why we are going. We're going to start a church that will work to proclaim that message so people will trust Christ as their Savior so they don't have, for, have to suffer for an eternity. We don't want that to happen for them. Sadly, that is the case for a lot of them. Even as they're working, even as they're doing things that they think are good, what doesn't matter what we think is good. What matters is what the Bible says is good and what God asks for. We need to just follow what he is asking for. Mm -hmm. 
And that is why we're proclaiming that message in Mexico. But I'd be foolish and ignorant to say Mexico is the only place that needs that. There's a whole world that needs to hear this message. There's almost 8 billion people on this earth. 8 billion. That's a big number. What are we supposed to do about that? I can't witness to 8 billion people. I can't talk with 8 billion people. Turn to the book of Luke in chapter number 10 in your Bibles. The book of Luke in chapter number 10. In verse number 2 of this chapter, which we'll read here in a minute, our Savior is giving a prayer request. Prayer requests are a good thing. Most churches have times where they hear requests. We had a men's prayer breakfast yesterday. We were hearing requests, praying for those requests. And that is a good thing that we do that as churches. It's an important thing that we do that as churches. Here our Savior is giving us something that we need to pray for. And I would say that if Jesus would have walked into the prayer breakfast uh, yesterday morning, I would have listened to what he would have had to say. We would have made sure to pray for that request. If there's any request that's getting prayed for, it's that one. A lot of times when requests are given, sometimes if you're asked to pray, sometimes I'm asked to pray for things, and sometimes I don't always remember all the requests. If Jesus is giving something, I want to remember that one. I don't want to mess that one up. I don't want to forget that one. And really, we don't want to forget this request as Christians at all. The Bible here says in Luke chapter number 10, verse number 2, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Here our Savior's prayer request is that we pray for laborers in the harvest. We know God's heart is that everyone would be saved. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance, that all would trust in him for salvation. We know that is God's heart. That's what he wants, and we should want that for everyone as well. We should want to gain God's heart and follow after God's heart. We need to ask God to send laborers. As you've heard about what we've talked about in Mexico, as you've seen the people that are there in Querétaro on our video, you can pray, God, send laborers to help in their ministry. I mean, yes, we're obviously going to be laborers going down there. You can pray that God would get us there safely and that God would use us there greatly, but we're going to need people laboring with us in our church for anything to happen. It's not just a pastor and his wife that are going to be able to see God work in a great way. We need a church that will be laboring with us, and you can pray with us about that. As you hear about different places, you can pray that God would send laborers to these different places, and you can be involved in things that way. We can all do that. We don't have to buy a plane ticket to do that. You don't even need a passport to do that. You don't have to wait for the State Department to get back with you on that, however long it's going to take them at this point. My wife's passport took a long time because it was right at the beginning of COVID, so it took forever. You don't need to wait on them. You can just, even today, say, God, send people to labor in Querétaro, Mexico. As you hear about different places on the news going through hardships and difficulties, you can pray that God would send laborers to those places as well. We can do that. We can help with that in this way. And as we're doing that, as we're praying for laborers, we'll find that we can't do that for too long without wanting to participate in this labor ourselves. Some interesting things we want to think about here in this verse, though. It talks about a harvest. That's a farming term that I guess Montana is kind of known for some of its farming. Well, actually, the place where we're staying is on a farm where we're staying at. And there's some different farming that's going on around there. On our drive to church this morning, we saw some different farms and different irrigation devices doing their thing. I think one of the things I saw right near that farm is they have some sod growing there, some turf that they're doing growing there. They have a turf farm. There's some other stuff. I think like wheat is growing around here, some different stuff like that. Where I grew, at up, grew up at in Ohio, 
um, was close to Akron, but still 100 feet off my parents' back porch is nice little a couple acres of corn right there, a few acres of corn. It wasn't our, my, our family's, but I mean, you're probably familiar with growing up, kind of familiar. I didn't really grow much ourselves. I mean, we had a little garden, but we could get like zucchini to grow, and that was it, the only thing we could get to grow. My dad had a tomato plant. It grew one tomato. So I don't come from a great line of green thumbs. But I'm kind of familiar with this, that you have to harvest the stuff. That's an important part of it. You can't just leave it out in the field forever. As um, I've mentioned, we're going to Querétaro, Mexico. It's not far from the city of Irapuato, Mexico. And they are known for their strawberries. They have great strawberries, and I love strawberries. So praise the Lord that it is very close. As I was driving to Querétaro for the first time, I was riding down there. I saw those huge strawberry fields, huge fields of strawberries. I'm talking square miles of strawberries, just as far as I could see. And as we were driving by these huge fields, I'd see, you know, okay, I don't know what season it is, but I saw about six or seven people picking strawberries, square miles and square miles of fields, and just a small handful of people picking those strawberries. And I'm thinking, are they going to get done with that harvest in time? Can six or seven people really get that job done in the time that it needs to get done in. I mean, if those strawberries don't get picked, they might go bad. Animals are going to eat them. Birds are going to try to eat them and different stuff if they don't get them in in time. But we're dealing with something far more important in this verse than just strawberries. The Bible is talking about something far more important than strawberries in the souls. Because if a soul does not get harvested in time, so to speak, things are much more detrimental than just getting eaten by a bird or getting just going rotten person will suffer for eternity if they're not harvested in time. That word laborer makes me think of my time when I was working at UPS through Bible college and some time after that before we started deputation I was working for UPS for most of that time I was a supervisor so I would have people laboring under me I would try to lead them teach them help them do different things and try to get the work accomplished especially during Bible college a lot of the time I would have a staffing sheet. I would have a list of who would be laboring for me on a given day, who the laborers, if you will, would be on a given day. I would look at that. Sometimes I'd look and see, okay, it's going to be a pretty good day. They've given me more than enough people to get the work done. I feel like more often than not, though, I would see only like five or six names on that list. And I would look at that and I would think, how are we going to get this done today? How are we going to, this isn't enough people. There weren't enough people working for us on a given day, so what we were supposed to do, my hands were tied. I would try to help things go as smoothly as I could, but if we didn't have enough people on a given day, a lot of packages got broken, a lot of packages got missorted, a lot of problems happened. People got their packages late if they got them at all. Some packages would still get there on time, but a labor shortage there would be detrimental. They would really hurt things. We'd have to work longer. It would be more tiring, and there would just be a lot of problems that would come from there not being enough laborers. But I wonder what our Lord is thinking up in heaven. I don't know if he's got a staffing sheet. I think he's got better than just Excel that we were using to put that in um, back at UPS. But I wonder what he is seeing as he looks at this or seeing who's involved in the labor. Who, is in, who, are, who the people are in these different parts of this earth? Who's involved in this? And do we have enough laborers? Do we need more laborers? Are there people on his sheet that are not actually laboring the way that they are supposed to? That was honestly one of our, my biggest difficulties. If I had like five people, but they were really hard workers, we could do a lot with them, more probably than we could with seven who weren't as hard of workers. As there are more laborers and as people are more willing to labor, more work is going to get done. And in the Lord's harvest, 
I would have to say we might have too few laborers. Our world is facing a lot of problems and a lot of these different things we're struggling with as a nation and as a world probably are springing from the lack of laborers. Turn to the book of Matthew in chapter number 28. Matthew chapter number 28. This is a passage that is often used with missions. Honestly, this is kind of outlining those different bullet points we said for what we're going to do for ministry. This is where we get that, basically. This is kind of the outline for ministry for us. But it's for all of us as Christians. It's not just for us as missionaries, just for your pastor and I as laborers full-time in this, per se. This is for all of us as Christians to follow. Bible here says in the book of Matthew, chapter number 28, starting in verse number 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So as we pray for laborers in the harvest, we need to participate in this labor ourselves. We are all here commissioned to go and teach the lost about salvation and then to baptize and teach those who do trust Christ as their Savior. That is what we are commanded to do. But let me say this. These aren't simple things. I can't just say, oh, yeah, this is easy. It's going to be the easiest thing you'll ever do. No. These are challenging things. It's not simple. As I've gone out soul winning myself, there have been a lot of times that doors have been slammed in my face. Hard to believe with this face, but it's happened. You know? Talking to strangers has never really been an easy thing. It's not any simpler in our world today. A lot of people are scared to talk. They're, they're starting to come out of that mindset. But I remember, what was it, last September, I remember we were at a door and we were knocking doors with the church that we were visiting and presenting at. And I remember I was handing a lady a track. She had her screen door shut at that point. And she opened her screen door to receive the track, but she was scared to open the screen door wide enough for the track to fit through. I mean, I, you can see that's not, that's not too big. And this church's tracks, they weren't much thicker than this, I don't think. Um, and if it was, uh, I, did, I wouldn't be able to notice. We'd have to get a micrometer out and just measure the little. That, that's, not a big, that's not a big thing. It's easy to fit that through a door. And yet people were scared to even open their door that wide. That presents some difficulty, for sure, in our world today. A lot of people, they can be rude to us as we try to give them the best news that they can hear in their life. People aren't always ready to receive it. A lot of people don't receive it. But even sometimes when people seem very unreceptive, it can prove to be worth it in those times. But I'll tell you a story. A man about 20 years ago, he was a prison guard. He worked as a prison guard in Baltimore area. And Baltimore, Maryland, I mean, for a long time, it's been known as not the best neighborhood exactly. And it still holds to be true. Our sending church is about an hour away from there. And we don't spend a ton of time down there with that in mind because it's not exactly a safe place. It's not exactly a safe city. So this prison guard man is dealing with some very bad criminals, some of the worst criminals in the United States probably. You would have to imagine. That was his work. And that was probably an exhausting work, no doubt. One of his days off came, though. And naturally, with a hard work like that, a challenging work, a difficult job like that, on a day off, you don't want to be bothered. You don't want to do, do anything. You just want to relax and not worry about anything. And as he's going about that day off, he hears a knocking at his door. He hears that knock. He gets up. He goes to the door. 
He hears whatever person is saying stuff. I don't know what exactly this prison guard man said. I'm kind of still scared to ask him for the full details of the story because I'm pretty sure there's a lot of words said that I couldn't repeat that he might still not repeat at this time. Um, I definitely wouldn't tell it in a company like this. And but anyway, after the interaction ordeal, whatever happened at that door, there was still a gospel track given to that man. And that door shut. That soul winner probably thought, okay, that track, that track is probably in the garbage. Probably has been shredded and thrown up and burnt and probably milled down and burnt again or something like that. That's probably what that soul winner thought had happened to that, that gospel track, that invitation to that church. But that's not what happened. That prison guard man took the track and set it on his table. And it kind of sat there for a little bit. And he, he thought about it for some time. But then he started thinking, you know what? I need to get my family in church. The soul winner doesn't know the rest of this story because he ended up leaving that church for some reasons unbeknownst to me. But that prison guard man took the track. He called the phone number on the track. He said, hey, are you guys open on Sundays? Um, the secretary didn't laugh too hard at him because he was actually there that Sunday. A couple weeks later, he went there. He went to church. He trusted Christ as his Savior, actually. In spite of how he was at that door, he still trusted Christ as his Savior that day. That's an awesome story right there. If someone that was mean to me that cussed me out at a door, if I handed them a track and they still got saved, I'd be ecstatic about that. I'll be happy to see him in heaven. That'll be a great thing. That'll be an awesome thing. But that's not where this story ends, actually. That man actually got baptized as well that very same Sunday. His wife got saved. His daughter got saved. They fell out of church for a time. They had moved from where they were in West Virginia to Maryland to be a little bit closer to where he was working at down in Baltimore. And there wasn't a church that they started attending right away. They were out of church for a time. But after a while, they found out, hey, there is a church we can go to. They started going to that church, and they started actually getting more involved in that church. This man that was saved just through a gospel track, now he was involved in handing these things out himself. He was a youth pastor for a time, Christian school teacher. Now he is serving as a Christian school teacher, or a Christian school principal, rather. It's been a difficult transition, Christian school kids, prisoners, but he's managing okay. <laughs> he's also serving as an assistant pastor. And I believe he finished up preaching a few minutes ago. He's filling the pulpit at our home church at Frederick Baptist Church in Frederick, Maryland. I hope, given the time difference, he's finished up preaching by now. If not, pray for those people. <laughs> but that man is also my father-in-law. And as crazy as it is, just because of one gospel track, now he is involved in serving the Lord full-time and doing different things. He has started bus routes. He's involved in trying to win people to Christ himself. And now his daughter is on her way to the mission field of Mexico. And all of that through a simple gospel track. We don't know what happens sometimes when we hand these things out, when we leave these things places. But we can see great things happen through these things. There's, who knows how many different stories we may have like that that we might not even find out about until we get to heaven. Who knows? But I can tell you this. You won't have stories like this if you've never handed out a gospel tract and never witnessed to someone. We have to be involved in this labor if we're going to have spectacular stories like that. But let me say this, that's not where our responsibility ends. It's not just get attracted to someone's hand and run off, or not just see them trust Christ as their Savior and run off. No, we're commanded to see them baptized and to disciple them, to help them grow as a Christian. And let me say something, that's not easy. That is even more challenging than just seeing them trust Christ as Savior. When someone trusts Christ as Savior, one person is less miserable with Satan for eternity. That's one less person. And Satan's not happy about that, but that's a very different thing 
than someone growing to become a fruitful Christian. Because once someone is a fruitful Christian, that's a lot less people miserable with Satan for eternity. So what I have seen a lot when I've led people to Christ is they have all intentions of getting to church that following service. They have every intention of it, and a lot of them don't because they are facing opposition like they have never faced before in their life. They're facing opposition from the devil. They're facing that. They're going up against that. And we need to help them through that. We need to encourage them. And that is why a lot of this responsibility falls on us with discipleship and helping them grow as a Christian. They can't fight Satan on their own. None of us can. We need to teach them how to get to that source of strength that we have, that all power. We need to help them with that. And we can do that by God's grace. As God calls us to do something, or as he has commanded us here to do this, he's going to equip us. He's going to enable us. He's going to help us do what he has commanded us to do. He's not cruel in saying, do something and not helping us do it. No, he's not a cruel master like that at all. He says, do this as I have done it, and as I will help you to do it. Verse 18 still says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. We have that on our side as we labor for him. As we go out and tell others about him, that is what we have with us on our side. Let me say this. You may not be called personally to go around the world with the gospel. I don't know God's plan for everyone in here. I only know God's plan for myself and my family. And God makes that clear to us as individuals. We have to trust God for that on our own. He doesn't reveal that to someone else for us. We need to have the relationship with God on our own for that. But I'll say this, God has given all of us the privilege and duty to give this good news to the people we do know. Wherever we may be, we can reach people. We are still commanded to do that wherever we are. Wherever we may be, that is our mission field, the place where we need to reach people with the gospel. There are some churches that will have, you are now entering the mission field over their exit doorways. Some churches will have that. That's not a bad thing. It's not a requirement at all. But it's an important reminder. It's a good thing to think about that as we go out, even here in Whitehall, Montana, we're still in the mission field. Even in the heart of the Bible Belt right now, that is still a mission field. There, people need to hear about Jesus. They, not everyone is saved in these places. So as we're involved in serving God where we are, that's normally when he makes it clear that he wants us to go somewhere else. I think in my own life. I mentioned briefly during the video that I was called to preach at a church camp. It was a great thing. It was between my sophomore and junior year of high school, and I was at a church camp, and God had worked on my heart. He'd been kind of working my heart at things. And I finally said, okay, God, I'll surrender. I'll do whatever you want me to do. A few months later, he made it clear that he wanted me to go to Mexico. A year before that camp, though, there was another camp. Or it was the same camp that I had gone to. But it was a different week of camp. And God was working on my heart about different things that year previous. That year before, God was working in my heart about being a witness for him about these things that I just talked to you about. And he was kind of nudging my heart about that at that point. And I said, okay, God, I'll go ahead and I'll start getting involved in this. I'll start trying to do this. And I wasn't the best soul winner by any stretch. But I was just trying to be involved. I was trying to do what I believe God wanted me to do. I mean, what God clearly did want me to do, what God wants us all to do. And as I was trying to work in that, and as I was trying to do the best I could, and as I was trying to learn to do better in soul winning, That was when God said, okay, I've got something for you, and I've got something for you somewhere else. And then through time, as I've continued trying to labor for him, he has made it more clear. He's narrowed it down to that city of Querétaro that we're going to. And I don't think he would have done that. He wouldn't have probably called me to Mexico in the first place 
if I wouldn't have said, okay, I'll start getting involved in soul winning here in Stowe, Ohio, in the Akron area of Ohio. That is how God normally works. So as we follow what is clear in Scripture, he gives more clarity on stuff that's not clear in Scripture. But we have to follow what is clear in Scripture. We need to tell others and serve God where we are and reach our Jerusalem with the gospel. We'll go ahead, we'll bow our heads, we will close our eyes. I will pray and then your pastor will come and he will take the service at that point after I pray. Dear Jesus, we do thank you for this day. We do thank you that we get to share this good news with others. Thank you for the opportunities that we have. And Lord, help us not to neglect these opportunities. Help all of us, myself included, to be a bold witness for you, whether it be just simply leaving a gospel track or handing a gospel track to someone, whether it be through a conversation with someone, Lord. Help us, Lord, embolden us to help reach our world, the world here for you. Please, Lord, help us and strengthen us for this task. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor. Let's have our heads bowed nice closed. I wonder this morning as he preached and as he was giving the scriptures to us this morning, if, if this question made across your mind or maybe you uh, could just admit this morning to say, you know, he talked about being a witness. He talked about giving the gospel to people, taking the gospel to other people. And uh, the truth is, you know, I could do a better job at that. I could do a lot better job at that. How many of you here this morning, heads about a nice close, you just testify and say, you know what, I, I could do a better job of, of giving the gospel to people. Is there anybody in the same boat as me? Amen. Many hands. You know, we could go another year and say the same question and, and probably rip for many the hand, same hands, but I wonder if there'd be some this morning that would say, you know what, Lord, I, I don't want to just do the same thing for another year. God, I, I want to be somebody that you use. I want to be that person that goes and knocks on a door or, or a person that maybe I'm just grabbing something to eat or maybe I'm pumping gas at the gas station or wherever it is. And, and, and God press, impresses on my heart and maybe you say, you know, I, I don't know all the words to say, but I know I can take one of those little gospel tracks. He talked about one of those little church invitations and I can, I could reach across and just say, hey, I want to invite you to church. Um, I, I, I could do that. Maybe this morning as the Word of God was preached, maybe God was speaking to your heart and you're saying, man, I, I want to do this. I just don't know how. I don't know what, what I, how tangibly I could do this. Hey, listen, that'd be a great first step. You'd say, you know what, I, I'm just going to pick up some of those, those little invitations there on the back. We got some that are, are little business card size. We got some large ones. I'm just going to take some of those. And this week, you know what, I'm going to purpose to just, Lord, help me, help me to give one of those out this week. You say, just one? That's, that's it? Listen, if you give out more, that's great. But maybe you'd say, I'm just going to purpose that this week I'm going to hand one of those out. I'm going to find somebody, and I'm going I'm I'm to invite somebody to church. I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. Just one person. Oh, listen, if we'd purpose to do that every week, you'd, you'd witness. You'd, you'd hand out 52 of those in a year. You say, is, is, am I going to see a bunch of people get saved? I don't know. Maybe. But I know this, you're going to plant a lot of seeds. And the more seeds that you plant the more opportunity there is for fruit. And I hope this morning we'll purpose to do that. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, the music's going to play. Let's stand together as the music plays.